The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Variety Channel. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericavariety.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Help, I need somebody. Help, not just anybody. Help, you know I need someone. Welcome to Family Caregivers Unite with Dr. Gordon Atherley. Family caregivers don't have to be alone in their experiences. You will hear from experts and other caregivers facing the same issues that you may be facing. Now, here is your host, Dr. Gordon Atherley. This is Gordon Atherley speaking. I welcome you to this show, of which I'm the host. By way of background, I'm a physician trained in Britain, and as you can tell from my accent, I worked for many years in Canada and also with various colleagues in the U.S. I'm retired from practice, and I'm now working in the development and research, things like that, to do with healthcare. I see family caregiving as one of the most important supports for healthcare right across the world right now. And in fact, just to be honest, I'm an activist for family caregiving, which explains the name of the show, Family Caregivers Unite. Now, this particular episode is about family giving for dementia. So what's dementia? It's a group of feared, serious mental health problems that have some very worrying, alarming, and ultimately very disabling consequences like loss of mental powers, like loss of the ability to remember things, like loss of the ability to make decisions, like mood swings going back and forth from gloom to cheerfulness, behavior that doesn't fit the situation, and inability to talk normally with other people. Now, of the group of diseases that dementia represents, by far the most common, and that's, I think, what's going to be our focus today, is Alzheimer's disease. It's the commonest. It actually can affect men and women of all ages, though it mostly occurs in persons, people over the age of 65. And by the time seniors reach the age of 85, and this is a worrying statistic, maybe a third of them will have Alzheimer's disease. We don't know what the cause is, um, and we reckon that something like a third of seniors beyond the age of 85, as I say, will have the disease. The cause isn't known, it doesn't have a cure, and it's unpredictable in its progress. Now, we have two guests today, um, Dr. John Sloan um, and professional outreach counselor Katie Griffiths. They're going to share their experience and understanding of the mental, emotional, and physical challenges for family caregivers caring for family members with Alzheimer's disease and dementia generally. First of all, um, I'm going to give you a little bit of background on both of them, and then I'm going to ask them to tell you 
what they do, how they do it, and some of their perspectives. Now, first of all, I'm going to call him Dr. John. He's a family doctor who makes home visits, and that's a pretty rare sort of doctor these days. His practice has, he says in his book, half of the people with dementia in one form or another. He's designed his innovative family doctor practice to keep his frail elderly patients out of hospital. He visits them at home. He collaborates with home care nurses, mental health teams, that is, people like Katie, and others in the community. Now, he's the author of a recent book called A Bitter Pill, How the Medical System is Failing the Elderly, published in 2009 by Greystone Books, and there'll be more information about that elsewhere. Now, Katie, she's outreach counselor with Alzheimer's Society Peel. She's been working with the elderly and their families since 1997. With her colleagues, she provides support for family caregivers caring for a family member with Alzheimer's disease or other dementia. She believes that each family caregiver has a unique role and journey with Alzheimer's disease or any dementia for that matter. While the journey is always hard and demanding, she told me, it nevertheless does bring some satisfaction and happiness for the family caregivers. Now, I'm going to hand over to our two guests for them to fill in more detail about the work they do and their particular work with family caregivers. Let, let me start, first of all, with Dr. John. Dr. John, please. Hello. Thank you, Gordon. Thank you very much. I, <clears throat> your introduction was, was uh, accurate and, and very, uh, very nice. I, uh, as you said, see all sorts of elderly people at home with, uh, with dementia. And as you also said, the majority of those have Alzheimer's disease or Alzheimer's disease and something else that's causing dementia. And my, the, the, the thrust of my practice is to, <clears throat> excuse me, as you also said, keep older people out of the hospital when they don't need to be in the hospital and keep them off medication that they don't need to have. The, the, the predictor of institutionalization in, in the kind of people that I see, the, the predictors are uh, cognitive impairment, which is what we call uh, the, the kind of thing that happens when you have dementia, memory impairment and so forth, and um, trouble getting around, so you know, lower extremity dysfunction, we call it. But the, the other less recognized predictor of people falling into trouble when they're fragile and old is the, is the quality and the strength of the caregiving. And so for me, if you take uh, the kind of trouble that people have with dementia and caregiving, you're dealing with most of the important things that make the difference between somebody uh, managing at home and somebody getting into <clears throat> trouble, which I equate with being in the hospital. So caregiving is terribly important and dementia is terribly important, but the, one of the big differences between those two things is, much as the uh, drug industry would like us to believe otherwise, you can't do very much about dementia, but boy, you can certainly do an awful lot about caregiving, and I'd like to talk about that a little later. Great. 
Thanks, 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 Dr. John. Katie, how do you see this, your work, and how it fits into this problem of dementia? Well, thank you, Dr. Asifli, for having me um, here to speak today. I just uh, want to say that um, in my role as outreach counselor with the Alzheimer's Society Peel, I have the luxury of actually spending time with caregivers um, and um, hopefully providing some sort of support to them through this journey. Um, as uh, Dr. Uh, John Sloan said, it's really hard to manage this um, disease of dementia with medications, and really what's important is the caregiver in this equation. Um, so as outreach counselors, what we're able to do here is provide support to those caregivers either one-on-one through uh, phone calls, um, visits in the office or visits in the home um, in order to provide support, information and resources um, and, uh, you know, just any sort of even just the opportunity to talk and to share an experience um, to hopefully ease the pressure that they're under through this journey. Great. Do you you agree with Dr. John's rather strong statement that keeping people out of out of hospital is really the best thing or a very good thing to do. And also, do you agree with the idea that um, the family caregiving is what we should be focusing on? What do you think? I do agree that the strength of the caregiver is definitely what um, can help somebody stay out of the hospital um, and, and in fact, is a very important um, part of overall health is sort of not being in an institutional um, setting just because of the risk of infection being greater. Um, also, we know that the familiarity of a home environment can be very soothing and very supportive for a person who faces a cognitive impairment. Um, and so we do think that, you know, by supporting the caregiver um, and making or helping them to do this journey a little bit longer, we can delay the onset of any type of institutionalization, including long-term care um, and hospitalization. Dr. John, what is it about the hospital that um, you you perceive to be so unfortunate from the point of view of the the people we're talking about? Right. Well, the the hospital is a wonderful thing, and it's 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 a rescue machine is what it is. But it's set up to rescue certain kinds of people from certain kinds of problems. And the majority of the people I see and that I think Katie is talking about uh, have problems from which there is no rescue. Uh, This is not to say that we don't try. What I'm saying is that the majority of these people have had very, very good attempts made to rescue them from their various problems and they tend to be the way they are because the problems are irremediable. We can't fix them. So we get a minor crisis, a minor health crisis, let's say, and typically, in my experience, the, the caregivers are nearing a state that Katie would understand very well that we refer to as burnout. Mm-hmm. Uh, they're reaching the point where the burden of care is difficult, the elderly person is... Um, uh, making without, in many cases, knowing it, demands that they just can't meet. And so something not very important happens, like uh, the flu or a fall on the floor with a soft tissue injury or uh, a, uh, a minor change in medication. The, the capability of the elderly person to manage diminishes the care burden suddenly increases, and we have what I call a crisis, 
And the result is that the person goes into the hospital where attempts are made to treat all the untreatable problems that they have. And so we, we, uh, we take the elderly person out of that comforting environment, um, recognizing the caregiver's problems, which complicates the situation. We put them somewhere where a whole bunch of things happen to them which are terribly expensive and which are, generally speaking, not helpful. And if they get out... Um, of the hospital, you know, very often, sadly, it's it's feet first. Mm-hmm. So it's a it's a waste of a wonderful resource, and it's a dreadful thing to do to old people. Can I just make one clarification of the way we use the term caregiver because it's very widely used? I think the three of us agree that whenever we're talking about caregivers, we do mean the family caregiver. Just a quick question to both of you because we're going to have to take a short grip break in a moment. Do you agree with me when I say that, that we make this distinction that we're talking about family caregivers all the time? Yeah, absolutely, Dr. Atherley. We we refer to them as informal caregivers. Okay. What about you, Dr. John? What do you really call them? Yeah, we we distinguish between caregivers who are most often family, but sometimes they're neighbors or friends, Mm -hmm. and care providers, which are the, the sort of professional people like myself and nurses and physiotherapists and home support workers. Right, right. And so one of the things that we're we're going to be talking about um, after the break is just how the professionals, on the one hand, like like you both, and the informal, the family caregivers, um, work together and how that actually in practice can be strengthened. Now, I want to just emphasize the point again that um, this is a very serious illness disease, and I think you're both strengthening, you're both agreeing with that point um, by saying that there are no cures to be looked at. Maybe there's some variability, maybe things can be helped, but if I'm reflecting back to you both accurately, it's providing the care for the people and keeping keeping them in the best possible place for them. Is that right? Yes, I agree with you. Yes, I agree with you too, Dr. Atherley. Okay. Now, I'm um, just going to uh, sort of draw attention to the things that we're going to talk about next, particularly, which is um, who the caregivers really are, because they um, are always being referred to in this rather general way, but they're actually people, and who those people are is something that we should be talking about. Well, what's your percent of women? Mm-hmm. How many, how many, 90%, 99%, how, what is it? According to Stats Canada, it's about 40% currently for women caregivers. That's general, though, isn't it? What about for the conditions we're talking about, Alzheimer's and dementia? What's in your own experience? I mean, how often are you dealing, are you dealing with women? How often are you dealing with men? <laughs> Um, for, for me in my office, it, it's probably about 50 to 60% of the time that it's a female partner providing care or a female daughter providing care. Right. I, I would say in my experience that that number is quite a bit higher. Um, mm-hmm. I <clears throat> guesstimate might be 70%. The, 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 you know, the, the traditional gender role tendency of, uh, you know, uh, male outworking female home doing those kinds of nurturing things 
seems to seems to persist. What sort of age range are the family caregivers? Are they seniors? Are they um, siblings? Are they children? Who are they in that respect? Um, well, they do say that one in five Canadians are over the age of 45. They're providing some form of care to seniors who have long-term care health problems. And a quarter of all of those family caregivers are seniors themselves, and a third of them are over the age of 75. So what that really comes back to is that we have a population that to some degree is looking after itself. What about people, and this is a very quick question, who are younger, that is, the, the people who um, have elderly parents but aren't yet quite into what some, some people would call the Zoomer. What sort of roughly, what sort of percentage roughly are you dealing with there? Just quickly. Dr. John, I don't know if you have an, a, sort of an average that you've got on that because no, I... I'll... it's the minority. Yeah. Um, I, I guess it might be among caregivers that, that I see 20%, if I, if I understand the category correctly. Mm-hmm. They, the, the, people of that age, you know, your middle-aged people, tend to have to be out making a living, and so they're caregivers generally only for people who can be left alone for eight hours, which would be the minority of, of frail people. Absolutely. That's a key point. Yes. Now, we are going to take a short break. It's, um, that's the way this world is organized. And I just remind you that this is Dr. Gordon Atherley and my guests um, who are talking about family caregiving, in particular family caregiving for people with dementia and diseases like Alzheimer's. Um, You're listening to Family Caregivers Unite on the Voice America channel, and please don't go away. Stay tuned. News. Opinion. Your voice counts. Call toll-free 1-866-472-5787. 1-866-472-5787. VoiceAmerica.com. Ready to chat about your favorite soap operas? The daytime discussion is here with Dan J. Kroll and Soap Central Live. For the past 15 years, Dan has been dishing and discussing on SoapCentral.com. And now he's taking the talk to the airwaves of the Voice America Variety Channel. You'll go behind the scenes with the biggest stars of daytime, along with guest commentary from the Soap Central columnists. And we'll take your questions and comments during our live show, Soap Central Live, every Friday at 6 p.m. Eastern Time, 3 p.m. Pacific, on Voice America Variety. We some hard hitters, we some hard hitters. Hard Hitting Radio is a new kind of sports and entertainment show. Your hosts are NFL veterans Mark McMillan and co-host Byron Evans. It's an hour of hater-free radio every week. You'll hear interviews with top athletes, celebrities, coaches, and fans. It's humor, hits, and conversation hard hitting radio is on with mcmillan and evans listen fridays at 3 p.m pacific time 6 p.m eastern time on the voice america sports network many of us try to maintain a healthy lifestyle but there is just so much going on in our lives food allergies picky eaters tight schedules and the like we also have so much to think about weight management disease prevention eating psychology and creating a healthy meal in minutes listen for nutrition matters and let roxanne moore step in to save you from the overwhelming sea of nutrition information roxanne will share success tips to keep you winning with over 15 years as a registered dietitian listen for 
Fridays at 3 p.m. Eastern, noon Pacific, on the Voice America Health and Wellness Network. Streaming live, the leader in Internet talk radio, voiceamerica.com. You know I need someone. You are listening to Family Caregivers Unite with Dr. Gordon Atherley. If you have any questions or comments about our program, please address them by email to docg at mymonami.com. That's doc, letter G, at M-Y-M-O-N-A-M-I dot com. Now, back to Family Caregivers Unite. Welcome back, first of all, to everybody, to our audience. Thank you for coming back to us. Our guests are Dr. John Sloan and Katie Griffiths who are talking about family caregivers for caregiving for dementia and Alzheimer's disease. Now, what we're going to continue to talk about is the family caregivers, but particularly the challenges that they face in family caregiving for a family member with dementia. Dr. John, first, please talk to us about those challenges. Well, I, I think the, the, the challenges are, are very varied you know it depends what kind of problems the the um, elderly person has what sort of resources are available with dementia they tend to be behavioral and you mentioned earlier that people's personalities change and so someone who was was quiet and accommodating and reasonable uh, becomes demanding and impatient and unreasonable somebody who uh, <clears throat> used to take over and manage things is now helpless and requires a lot of help and so forth. But in general, the, the thing with, with caregiving that's difficult it, to me is what I call a mismatch between what the caregiver is able to do with or without help and the needs of the, of the elderly person. So, the, you know, the caregiver the, uh, faces this constant worry that all of a sudden a balanced situation where the needs are met, uh, he or she, usually she, is able to get the person up in the morning, able to feed them their, uh, their meals, gets help in during the day with the result that they can get out and do the shopping, comes back, is able to make dinner, gets them to bed. Suddenly there's a change. The behavior changes, the physical capability changes, and they can't cope anymore. Um, and and uh, a person who's been caregiving for a while, I guess, I hope Katie would agree with this, will probably have experienced that kind of thing two or three times. So that's a major concern. Right. Katie, what, what's your sense of these challenges? What do you see in the way of challenges? I agree with Dr. Sloan that, yes, they've sort of gone through a roller coaster ride, um, even from the time of diagnosis um, right into um, the, the, the early stages of caregiving. Um, and I think that despite the type of care that they're providing, they all can experience feelings of frustration and grief. And I think that some of the other challenges that they face include how to successfully navigate the systems in order to make sure they have the right support at the right time. Um, and then also how to remain connected to their values and beliefs through this journey. And then on top of that, they have to manage the care of cost, the cost of care, and they also have to manage um, avoiding being isolated. Um, and, and, and so often that happens with our caregivers. They're not connected during this journey. They lose a lot of their social connections and even some of their familial connections. Katie, just with you again, what do you see, what would you put on the top of your list as the most challenging 
of of those challenges you've been talking about and also the ones that Dr. John was talking about. Mm-hmm. I think that some of the hardest things for caregivers to do is to definitely find a balance in caregiving, how to avoid burnout, as Dr. John was talking about earlier. Um, I also think that communication is a key aspect in caregiving and how to figure out how to communicate with their loved one, how to communicate with care providers, how to communicate with their other loved ones becomes one of the most challenging aspects in caregiving, um, to explain what they're going through, what their needs are, what the needs of their loved ones are, and then in turn, accessing service through that. Okay. Dr. John, what's your, your, your list of the most challenging ones? And also, please would you comment about the interaction of the family caregivers with physicians? And I'm talking about physicians generally as well as you um, and how they, you, uh, respond to those, those top-line top challenges. Yeah, um... Katie's list was comprehensive and I, I think uh, complete, uh, really just, just wonderful. All of those cost and um, uh, more sort of personal, almost spiritual type issues that, that people run into, and they're changing all the time. I see the caregiving world f- through a little bit narrower slit, if you like, uh, you know, because I'm in, I'm involved in the really most of the time the more technical side of healthcare, and so it's this, um, as I said before, sudden change in in function that I think is the is the most worrisome from the point of view of the of the caregiving relationship potentially collapsing. But all of the other uh, issues are there all the time; they don't go away. <clears throat> so. You know, typically when that crisis happens, it, the, the caregiver is, is confronted with a doctor of some kind, you know, uh, me or, or somebody like me. The problem, from my point of view, is that we don't do enough of what I and a few others in my community and other places in our country do, which is, frankly, A, go see the person at home, and B, Provide your service 24-7 if it's needed. So the, the, the caregiver typically, um, and I, when I say typically, I guess I mean most of the time, confronts a busy family physician in an office or an even busier emergency room doctor in an emergency room or, um, uh, goodness forbid, a... Uh, a specialist to whom the person has been, and I would say most of the time, inappropriately <clears throat> referred. And, and you know, I, it's, it's a terrible thing, but most of these doctors don't want to see fragile elderly people for the simple reason that they, they know the problems can't be solved. And the, the, um, the technical job of, of, of doing what needs to be done diagnostically tends to be time consuming. Mm-hmm. And so the you know the usual models of healthcare where the where the caregiver confronts a doctor <clears throat> are are set up in my opinion for frustration and difficulty. Right. Katie, um, I'm going to ask you a different question. What about the family caregivers themselves? Um, do what what do you in the way of, or see in the way of challenges to them 
to their quality of life. And then I'm going to ask Dr. John about the challenges to their health. But what about the family caregivers? What, what's the toll, the cost on them in these situations? Um, there's definitely a physical and emotional toll um, that uh, is presented in, on um, a caregiver. Um, the caregivers are at risk, of course, for isolation during this journey. And then, of course, couples find it increasingly difficult to find ways to spend time together when one of their partner's abilities fail. Caregiving children may leave the workforce to care for, and, and this that can often place um, a social um, isolation and a lack of support for them. Um, they may also disconnect with their friends due to time um, constraints resounding surrounding caregiving, as well as the emotional and physical toll it takes. Um, There's a lack of sleep. The financial burden of caregiving um, can definitely um, put pressure on the caregiver to pay bills, um, especially if there's a loss of income through um, some of the jobs that they may have been doing. Um, And, of course, occasionally there's differing of opinions on how um, to care for a family member between other family members, um, which, of course, all increases the stress uh, stress level on a caregiver. Um, when supports are not in place, the stress can cause burnout, as we've talked about before. It is, um, causes increased risk for illness and even death, and stress continues on even after somebody um, may not be caring for that person physically in their own home anymore. Um, and we even um, use a, a particular caregiver stress scale called the Zeret Burden Interview, which actually takes a look at caregiver stress and how somebody's doing and rates their stress level on a scale. And sometimes that's a good tool to use for a caregiver in order for them to figure out what their abilities are and whether or not they can continue coping um, caregiving at home. The question of coping now brings us to what are the, what are the costs on the health of the family caregiver, Dr. John? I, I think they're, they're substantial because the focus is the, <clears throat> is, is the, the person being cared for. Uh, and, and we forget, and often the caregiver forgets, that they tend to be elderly, they tend to have uh, health problems of their own, and they tend to get neglected. Um, and, you know, that by itself might not be so bad. Um, but there is, again, there's this, there's this kind of precarious balance that exists in a caregiving situation. And time and time again, I see couples where I picture them like uh, sort of two uh, pieces of wood leaning together and holding one another up in a way. Um, I've seen many couples where the, the, the um, let's say, the, the man is the legs and the woman is the brains. You and know, that's the key mm. point, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah. That may well be um, uh, a reversal of the circumstance in their relationship previously. I'm going to say to you this just very quickly, that um, this whole issue of how the household is functioning and how the people in it is functioning adds up to the sort of challenge you've been both been talking about which needs something doing about it and in the next break after the next break we're, we're going to have some discussion about that because it seems to me that that's fundamental now it is time again for us to take the short break this is dr gordon atherley and my guest are both professionals involved very closely with family caregivers, Katie Griffiths and Dr. John Sloan. You're listening to Family Caregivers Unite on the Voice America Variety Channel, and please come back. Ask 
the experts. Call toll-free right now, 1-866-472-5787. Hello? And ask our all-star team to answer your question. That's 1-866-472-5787. Thank you for calling. VoiceAmerica.com. Many of us try to maintain a healthy lifestyle, but there is just so much going on in our lives. Food allergies, picky eaters, tight schedules, and the like. We also have so much to think about. Weight management, disease prevention, eating psychology, and creating a healthy meal in minutes. Listen for Nutrition Matters and let Roxanne Moore step in to save you from the overwhelming sea of nutrition information. Roxanne will share success tips to keep you winning with over 15 years as a registered dietitian. Listen Fridays at 3 p.m. Eastern, noon Pacific, on the Voice America Health and Wellness Network. There's nothing like getting involved in a great book. A lot of different genres have come to the forefront as some of the most discussed subjects of today. Whether it's sci-fi, fantasy, the vampire realm, or romance, join some of today's top authors on The Author Hour, your guide to fantastic fiction, hosted by Matthew Peterson. Get ready to explore the works with the authors themselves. Find out the how and the why and what inspired these geniuses of literary art. Tune in to The Author Hour, Thursdays at 9 a.m. Pacific Time, noon Eastern Time, on The Voice of America Variety Channel. What is whole person healing for your body, via mind, and via spirit? It's a dedication to the widest selection of healing practices worldwide whenever possible. Hosted by Professor Rustam Roy, a noted material scientist and the founder of Friends of Health, who will be here each weekend with the most in-depth information about whole person healing from the world's leading practitioners, spokespersons, and major supporters for this viewpoint. Tune in every Saturday at noon Eastern, 9 a.m. Pacific, on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. The Internet's number one talk station. Number one talk station. VoiceAmerica.com. You know I need someone. You are listening to Family Caregivers Unite with Dr. Gordon Atherley. If you have any questions or comments about our program, please address them by email to docg at mymonami.com. That's doc, letter G, at mymonami.com. Now, back to Family Caregivers Unite. Hello again to our listeners, to Family Caregivers Unite. Welcome back. Our guests are Dr. John Sloan and Katie Griffiths, professionals who are talking about family caregiving for dementia and Alzheimer's disease. Now, my question next is, does there come a time when the family caregiver is no longer able to cope with all that the family caregiving requires? And if such a time does come, when is that time, and what are the things that bring it on? Dr. John? Uh, thanks. I, I think the... Uh the, the time when the, the caregiving doesn't work anymore depends on support. And, you know, the, the, uh, the caregiving person may lose physical ability, may become demented themselves, all kinds of things of that sort can happen. But presuming they stay more or less stable, what really matters <clears throat> is, is what we in the system are doing to support and assist them. So if there's somebody like Katie around, makes a huge difference. 
If there's a doctor that'll come and see them at home, it makes a huge difference. If they can navigate their way through the system with help, it makes a big difference. And all of these things move the point at which the person has to contemplate giving up caregiving, which means institutionalization, of course, um, a little bit further down the road. And the more we move that down the road, the closer we come to the point at which the, the journey, as Katie calls it, ends and, and the elderly person dies. Um, and and to me the you, you know in a, in a way theoretically the ideal situation is that the person dies at home. Yeah, Katie, please talk about the the journey's end in the sense that one the family caregiver is no longer able to cope, or two that the person with the dementia Alzheimer has to go off into some kind of other care. Okay. Um, I, I agree. Um, I was asked earlier um, this week about whether or not there was this big red flashing light that sort of went off when it was suddenly time to not caregive anymore, and how do we know when that is? Um, and as you said, I, I, we do agree that it does come down to the ability of the caregiver, um, both physically and mentally, to be able to take care of their loved one as well as emotionally. Um, and it also depends on the cognitive and physical abilities of the person that they're caring for. Um, and what we hope to have done in the time frame is that we've given them enough services and supports to help them do this as long as possible safely at home um, so that they can, um, if they need to, at you know, the end of the journey, utilize some palliative and um, some of the in-home palliative services that our communities offer. And of course, they're absolutely wonderful. Um, also, what is wonderful um, in our community, and I know in others, is the wonderful doctors and outreach teams that, that do provide help and service and often do make some of the house calls and, and try to be as flexible as they can. We, we hope for more flexibility, but with how busy the systems are, it, it does become a little overwhelming even for the resource professionals, um, the care providers to provide all of the help and support that they need to. Um, but I do believe that there does become a time where it is no longer safe to care at home, but hopefully we've empowered the caregiver to look at all of their opportunities and to have some choices and some plans set out so that the decision is one of uh, having a little more confidence in, in what they need to do next. Okay. I'm going to put my next question to you as well, Katie, but just a quick, a quick recall. What's palliative care? Oh, I do apologize. Palliative care is the end-stage care um, that is provided um, at the end of life, um, and it's usually professionals in the community that have some training at helping with the end-of-life care. Right. Then would it be fair to say that um, the, end, the end of family caregiving, not necessarily the end of life, can that, is that something that is always going to um, have a... A limit, or could we look to family caregiving becoming so good that and so effective that that the stage can be continued perhaps indefinitely? What do you think? Sure, I I think that's it's that's at least a, a theoretical goal. Um, you know, if if you imagine a system that is so good that there, you know, in theory, almost doesn't need to be a family caregiver, then you can say, well, the, even the least capable family caregiver would be able to cope with uh, somebody at home, even under the greatest burden, because the system supports all of their needs. Well, we're a long, long way from, from there, 
but I'm I'm optimistic about the direction we're going in. I think more and more uh, people are recognizing those needs, and they're and they're being met more and more. And some of that is just motivated by the the healthcare um, uh, system people recognizing that we have to somehow um, keep these people away from the futility and the, um, the unpleasantness of, of being institutionalized and the awful overwhelming cost of that. Right. I suppose what I'm asking really is the same question but in a different way. Is there any sort of aid that people can look at? For example, there's a lot of talk about technology in assisting in these kind of situations. What do you think about that? Does it have a role to play, Dr. John? I, you know, I, I tend to de-emphasize that myself. I think it's people. And very much uh, of, of what I do is not associated with the blood pressure and the heart failure and the medication and the serum potassium. It's more associated with providing what professional reassurance I can to the caregiver that what they're doing is okay. It's okay that you don't know the reason why uh, your wife is breathless. It's okay that we're uh, just treating pain without necessarily finding the cause of the pain. Um, it's okay that medication is required from time to time to assist with difficult behavior and so forth. And people have all these worries that somehow what they're doing isn't correct or isn't enough or is, is against the grain in some way and very often my role is just to reassure them that, no, it's fine. It's okay what you're doing, yeah. as long as it's working. And we work it out individually. Katie, just on this point of when there's a change needed, um, we tend to use the term transition. That is, it's a move from one place to another, a move from one type of care to another. What are the things that you see as necessary to ease those transitions, obviously for the person with the condition, but also for the family caregiver. For th Thank you, Dr. Atherley. Um, I do think that some of the um, literature that the Alzheimer's Society um, of Canada and the Alzheimer's Society of Peel in particular offers on transitioning can be very helpful. Um, it can help families to understand how to adjust to the changing role of the caregiver when somebody becomes institutionalized. Um, or if there is a short-term stay or short-term respite that is offered, how to transition even in that kind of uh, care situation. Um, so we do provide, I think that the, the main key is providing that support and that education through that, that transition, um, providing them that support and, and an education can really, really help them to understand what their loved one is going through, maybe what they're experiencing and what they're going through. And then, the, of course, the opportunity to share with others in a like situation can really, really balance out the stress and the emotional grief that is caused by transitioning somebody. Let's just address a question of, of who benefits if the length of time that someone who's receiving care from a family caregiver, that length of time is increased. That is to say they're kept at home for an extra three months, an extra six months, or whatever it is. Who actually benefits from that? Dr. John? 
Yeah, that, that's a good question. And I, I would say everybody benefits, but then, you know, like you, I'm a bit of an advocate. Um, I, I think the caregiver benefits, and, and this is a bit counterintuitive because it would seem as though uh, longer time the elderly person stays home, more work for the caregiver, but that work is rewarding. And the, the, the natural history of most of the problems that fragile people have is short. And the, the, you know, the, the caregiver looks forward to uh, a time when the elderly person isn't there anymore and then has to say to themselves, all right, did I do the best I could? You know, what, what could I have done? And longer the person stays uh, in, a, in a tolerable caregiving situation, the better the caregiver feels. Thanks. Katie, just a quick one on that. Um, what about the health care system? Does it benefit and if so, how, if family caregivers hold on, so to speak? Absolutely. The cost of long-term care is, is very, very expensive, um, both to the family caregiver as well as to the taxpayer. Um, and as much as my mind sticks uh, along with Dr. Sloan's um, feelings that the caregiver is the main benefactor of caregiving at home because of the sense of self-satisfaction um, and love and support in that end of journey and the finalization, I do believe that you know by reducing those care costs of long-term care, we can put those funds into hopefully community care and community support and keeping this journey successful at home for longer. Very good. Something, uh, something that I wonder if governments have understood properly, and we'll come to that point later on. Now, it's time once more for us to take the break, the short break. This is Dr. Gordon Averley, and my guests are professionals who work very closely with family caregivers who are involved in this condition of dementia and Alzheimer's. That's Katie Griffiths and Dr. John Sloan. You're listening to Family Caregivers Unite on the Voice America Variety Channel, and please stay tuned. Talk, talk, talk. That's all we do is talk. Yeah! If you'd like to talk, call us toll-free right now at 1-866-472-5787. 1-866-472-5787. That's it. That's it. VoiceAmerica.com. Step into the doorway to conscious choice, greater health, and well-being. Attain the balance that you've been seeking. Tune in and turn on 1111 Talk Radio. Feed the mind. Embrace positively. Release the tension. Step out of fear. Host Simran Singh will help you broaden your mind and open your heart toward a greater understanding of how to take charge of your life. 1111 Talk Radio is here every Thursday at 7 p.m. Eastern Time, 4 p.m. Pacific Time on 7th Wave Network. 1111 Talk Radio, because shift happens. Stimulating talk gets those synapses in your brain inspired really fast. All the time. The number one Internet talk station where your opinion counts. VoiceAmerica.com. You know I need someone. You are listening to Family Caregivers Unite with Dr. Gordon Atherley. If you have any questions or comments about our program, please address them by email to docg at mymonami.com. That's doc, letter G, at mymonami.com. Now, back to Family Caregivers Unite. Hello, this is Dr. Gordon Averley saying welcome back to 
um, our listeners to Family Caregivers Unite. Our guests are Dr. John Sloan and Katie Griffiths, who are talking about family caregiving for people with dementia and Alzheimer's disease. Now, I'd um, previously referred to government, um, and I'm going to put, put you in the role of government. And I'm going to ask you to uh, play a little game with me. Let's suppose that you both together uh, are appointed by the government as a team to oversee the development of support for family caregiving for dementia and Alzheimer's. What are the things that you would propose and why? It sounds a bit like an examination question, I guess, but that's probably what it is. Katie, you first. Um, well, if, if I was being able to make these decisions, um, one thing that I would definitely look for is more in-home respite support for caregivers. Um, I do believe, um, I, and the rising tide uh, study just came out from the Alzheimer's Society Canada, and it's the impact of dementia on Canadian society over the next 30 years. And one of the supports that they look at, or one of the answers to sort of um, managing this economic burden, um, is to provide an ongoing support and an ongoing system of navigation, um, which can reduce the um, cost of, of caregiving um, for the entire society. Um, and I do believe that... Um, Anything we can do to help family caregivers to do this journey in the home longer would be good, and also to help doctors to understand um, and to link their clients with services. Um, something that we've introduced in, in our area and all across Canada is the First Link program with the Alzheimer's Society, and more funding for those types of programs would definitely help doctors and, and caregivers to understand sort of where they can go for resources and support. That's John. Same question. What would you... Um, you're, you're now in position, uh, you're in command. What, what are the things that you would propose and why would you propose them? Yeah, I'm, I'm almost dizzy from the height. Uh, <laughs> it's, yeah. um, uh, it's really important. Uh, I, I think we've made enough heavy weather of the fact that, that, that fragile people in general, Alzheimer's patients, need to be cared for at home. Um, it's better for them, it's better for the caregiver, it's better for the system. Um, so that means uh, delay or eliminate nursing home uh, admission, delay or eliminate hospital admission. So I would do everything I can to accomplish those things. Um, I think you can do that only when you support the caregiver. And I would support the caregiver with teams of professionals who, who come to the home, uh, who maintain records, and those teams have characteristics uh, as follows. Number one, they're multidisciplinary. So we have uh, social workers, advocates, rehab people, nurses, doctors, I would say, and maybe pharmacists. That would be kind of a minimum uh, set of the team. Number two, they're what I call collaborative, which means that they communicate with one another and they communicate with the caregiver and to the extent possible with the, the, the client, the patient. Uh, and this means that there are understood, clear, advanced directives in place. So when the following happens, we do the following thing. And that's all very well to talk about, but unless you have what I think is the last and most important in many ways characteristic of this kind of care in place, you can't accomplish that. And that is that that care has to be available 24-7. When there's a crisis at 11 o'clock at night, 
you've got to have a telephone that you can call and someone that will come and look the situation over and, and put at least temporary uh, support and treatment in place. So that's kind of where I would start, I think. Okay, let me um, just wade into this because I, I want you to perceive yourselves automatically, to some extent anyway, as candidates for election. You're, you know, you're sitting on a platform, and I'm one of these awkward people in the audience that uh, keeps asking you questions about <clears throat> help me decide whether I'm going to vote for you or not. So here's one. In the UK, they actually pay family caregivers um, a monthly kind of grant. Uh, it's uh, something around $400 if they do somewhat over 30 hours a week. This is a question to both of you, uh, Katie first. Do you think paying family caregivers some kind of allowance would be the kind of thing that would be useful and that you, if you were in charge, would want to see? What do you think? Um, I have two thoughts about that. One of the facts is that our caregivers in our group often talk about the autonomy in decision-making on how they, they choose to spend their caregiving dollars due to the uniqueness of the journey. Everyone needs something at a different time. Everyone needs a different support at a different time, whether it be a day program, whether it be somebody in home to care. Um, so I think that that's one fold, but I think that there also needs to be some regulation on that to make sure that the funds are being used appropriately and safely and that they are going to the care that is needed of the client um, or the person who is at risk, um, uh, the fragile elderly person. Thank you. Dr. John, what about? Yeah, I don't think I can do any better than that. I, I think there is, there's a double-edged sword there, and we see, for example, in care of... Uh, um, uh, developmentally disabled younger people at home, in my community anyway, um, a, a sort of professionalization of caregiving, um, which ends up amounting from a cost point of view and from a, uh, a, a, a sort of a, a, a real warmth of support point of view um, as something between the kind of caregiving we're talking about here and institutionalization, and I'm not sure I'm crazy about that. Okay. Now, often in the same, same theme, what are you going to do, but in a different direction? You know, we have all kinds of weeks or months celebrating all kinds of things um, in Canada, in North America, and just generally, uh, even internationally. Um, Again, the UK, they had, in 2009, a Family Caregivers Week celebrating the role of the family caregiver. Both of you, I know that sounds like uh, a kind of very obvious yes, but what do you think about promoting the idea publicly that family caregivers um, are, in effect, members of the healthcare team? First of all, Katie, what do you say about that? I would absolutely love a time to recognize family caregivers, but I think it's something that we always, of course, need to do every single day. These people are heroes, and they are doing the work of many. I mean, I, I believe that the average is about 231 million hours of informal caregiving um, happens in Canada each year, um, and that's expected to increase um, substantially um, over the next next few years. So I do think that there needs to be a recognition for them, and I wish we could do more from them on a, on a daily basis not just one week a year, but it would be a great way to recognize them and to draw attention to the, to the need and to the, um, the, 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 the value of uh, family caregivers. 
Dr. John? Yep, again, I agree with Katie. I, in fact, I thought Katie was going to say we already have such a week. <laughs> we have so many well, weeks, we probably I, do. <laughs> uh, my, my own feeling, to, just to, to devil's advocate this a little bit, is, is my goodness, we, it, it's great to pay lip service. What these folks really need is, is, uh, is support that is real and that makes a difference in their lives and maybe a little bit of money. Fair enough. Now, I'm still on the same theme because I'm still trying to make up my mind whether I'm going to vote for you two. <laughs> Next question is, um, the name of this show is Family Caregivers Unite, and people with a political background will recognize that that's quite historically an emotive phrase. Um, what about it? There are plenty of organizations, and they're very good, um, supporting family caregivers. But at the same time, I don't hear very many family caregivers rising on to the platform and actually talking generally about the needs of the people they are. Now, we've only got a very short time to go, but what's your sense of that? Should family caregivers become, and maybe this is not a good word, a little more politically active in their own names or in their own rights? What do you think? Um, Katie first. Um, I agree that we would love to see family caregivers um, advocate, but I think that at the point of time of caring, they are caring, and that's all they can do at that point in time. And a lot of them will become advocates afterwards. And having been through the journey of, of caregiving, they know what the needs are. They know what the, where the value lies, and therefore they, they sort of step up at that point. But during the process, I think it's a little overwhelming. They've got enough on their plates at that point in time. Dr. John? Yeah, caregiving tends to be full-time, and, and uh, if, if you're still in a condition to do it afterwards, then that's a wonderful time to do the kind of thing you're doing, Gordon. That's a key point. Mm -hmm. A key yeah. point. Now, uh, we're coming to the end, and I have to um, say to you, first of all, to you both, thank you very much indeed for a um, stimulating discussion. You've brought out a lot of points. And in relation to what you've been talking about, about uh, talking relative to your political platforms, yes, you would both get my vote. <laughs> now, I want to also thank our listeners um, and encourage them to get back in touch with us on this broad subject. Our next episode is about family caregiving for Lou Gehrig's disease, which is another tragic disease. Um, that's when we're going to have a person with Lou Gehrig's disease and a family caregiver in experience, experience in caring for someone with the disease. So please, we'll see you next week, same spot. Thank you, and goodbye. Thank you again for joining us this week for Family Caregivers Unite with your host, Dr. Gordon Atherley. Please tune in again next Tuesday at 10 a.m. Pacific Time, 1 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. And until then, we hope our program will help make the coming week easier and more hopeful. And I do appreciate you being